This is episode number 97 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Two Birth and Beyond. It's Jesse Mundell here today with a very special guest. I'm so excited to have a conversation with Alicia Two Bears. Alicia, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. We are going to be talking about lots of different things today. Birth, your mm-hmm. work as a doula, community, indigenous birth, racism, perhaps in the medical and birth worlds. So I'm really grateful to have you and your expertise and your personal anecdotes to guide us in this conversation. All right. I'm going to give a little intro to you and then we'll hop into our chat and some questions that I have for you. Okay. So let's dive in. Alicia Two Bears is a member of the Mistawasis Nihiawak Nation. Mistawasis Nihiawak First Nation. Yeah. I was just practicing before we got on to Okay, we got it. She has a background in education, completing her Bachelor of General Studies and a Bachelor of Education at the University of Calgary. She is using her background in education and current scholarship through Doula Canada in their birthing educator program. She wants to create a comprehensive, culturally engaged prenatal course to support Indigenous women both on and off reserves. Alicia practices birthing as ceremony and supports anybody who uses her services from this perspective. She believes women supporting women is one of the greatest tools mothers can use to grow a strong, healthy, viable community. Trained through Dona for her foray into the birthing world, she looks forward to furthering her training to include postpartum care as a doula and Indigenous breastfeeding counselor. As a mother to five children, she is an advocate for home births, midwives, and access to the best birth options for every woman. Beautiful. And can I just <laughs> confirm your pronouns before we go further? Yes. Uh, she, her. She, her. Okay, wonderful. Yep. All right, Alicia. Absolutely incredible work that you're doing. I'm so interested. What brought you to doing this work here today? So initially, like we said, I started in education. I was a kindergarten teacher on reserve for about seven years. And through the loss of my ceremonial elder, and then six months later, my closest grandpa, I really hit grief really hard. Um, really big battle with depression and the exit out of the classroom teaching education realm. And in that, 
very difficult journey. I literally sat down and said, okay, I'm not going to be a classroom teacher anymore. What am I supposed to do then? Like, and I will listen, but you have to give me very clear and concise answers. Like the next 24 hours would be wonderful, please. So that summer, I had three people within a two-week span come and see me, visit me, and said, you know, you should be a midwife. And I'm only saying that because I have five kids, and everybody thinks about me when they have kids. So they said, no, like, I just think, when I think of you, that's what I think of. So I looked into the programming at MRU. It is so competitive, uh, 4.0 GPA in a science-based degree. Um, none of my education credits would roll over. Math and science are not my natural strong suits. So it was like, I can't A, afford to get a whole other degree. And uh, I don't want to like upgrade my math already. So there was an option of a doula. And I was initially quite snotty and like, mm, I don't want to do that. I want to be a midwife. So, but I thought, well, it's a one weekend course and maybe I should look into it. It was affordable. And I thought, well, just look into it and see what it actually is. And it really relit my love for women, for birth, for babies. And it felt, felt very natural to be surrounded by other like-minded women in this realm. So in there, in that, by the end of it, I said, okay, I want to have an Indigenous birthing center. I want midwives to come together. I want birth dealers to come together. I'm a uh, certified prenatal postnatal yoga instructor and have my 200 hours. So it's like, I'm going to run prenatal courses out of here and I'm going to have prenatal and postnatal yoga and massage and chiropractors and therapists and domestic violence intervention and prevention and elders and medicines and a kitchen and we're going to cook food for each other. This is my big goal within Calgary. I find Calgary a highly transient city. Um, and if you are not from this area, but perhaps your partner is and you split up, like that's not a big deal, but being alone in pregnancy and birth is terrifying. So I want to be able to build a community within Calgary for women who feel alone, because it's quite, it's quite easy to do in Calgary, whether you're Indigenous or not. So, um, but I even wanted to be able to provide it like close to a train station or busing so I could provide clients with passes so that they could get down if they don't drive. And accessibility is a huge factor um, for our community, getting to classes or getting to support or whatever it is that they need. So um, that is how I came into the birthing realm. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable. I have goosebumps when you're describing <laughs> what you want that space to be like and envisioning it. So where are you in that journey to creating this space? So within here, um, I don't have a space yet, but I have collaborated with Four Directions Midwifery, who obviously hold the same dream. We all have the same dream. We want like a big birthing center. And I ended up supporting Satina Nation's prenatal classes as a birth doula. And then obviously my own um, experiences having birth. So I have five children, but the second and third one are twins. So I have singleton and twin experience 
um, in the birthing realm. And I really realized, like, even though I have left education, um, my gift as a teacher is still very prevalent. And I am comfortable um, engaging and teaching with women, just as I was with children, which was a little bit unexpected towards me. So, um, so attending births, collaborating with four directions, and just, you know, slowly putting the pieces of women who support this vision is where I'm at right now. And then I won Doula Canada's first ever scholarship, very specifically for Indigenous women. And I was actually going to use it for to be a postpartum doula, because that was one of my goals. And when I was looking through their itinerary, birthing educator was on there. And I was like, or I can take this course so I can teach a prenatal curriculum I want to develop, which has been on the back burner for probably about two years. And I feel confident in my skills to be able to teach a prenatal class um, and follow like sets set out by Alberta Health Services. But I want to create programming that I could go on reserve with, off reserve with, um, for Indigenous women that's flexible to meet all the different nations' needs and say like, here's the drumming teaching I want, but put in your teaching that's to your people in here so it's flexible enough for that room, but structurally sound enough to um, address it, um, anatomy or physiology changes. Um, so you get a really good balance of all the knowledge. And so I'm developing it right now. And, um, and Four Directions Midwifery wants to support me teaching it and, um, and working with me to develop it. So I'm super supportive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely incredible. Okay, so much there to dive into. So yes. just so we're clear. So Four Directions Midwifery, for those of you who are not in the Calgary area, can you explain what they are, what they do? Yes, so they, I believe, are the first collaboration of Indigenous midwives, or I should say they're in, um, they are trained midwives who are Indigenous, and they work uh, centrally out of Calgary, but they serve Morley and they serve the Satinic community, and they are working really hard to serve our community from a point of cultural support and also like just midwife support and the options of birthing at home, birthing at the hospital, birthing in the birth center, whatever it is that your needs are to be met. Because so often uh, if you just use a GP or an OB care, we don't get that culture care support and, um, and a lot of fear and hesitation that we have around the hospitals and the institutions um, and potentially the racism that we face while we're the most vulnerable, um, fearing that our baby could be taken away, fearing that we won't even be listened to when we want pain relief because there is always the potential to be assumed you're a junkie, you're an addict and you are looking for a high, you're not actually birthing your baby or you have a high tolerance of pain, so you're ignored. Um, family members are kept out of the room because, I mean, and it's standard, like you can have two birthing people, um, but it could be an auntie who's not biologically an auntie, 
and therefore not allowed to come to the hospital. And that standard of care towards us is fear-based. And when you are birthing, you're already dealing with so much. You don't, we shouldn't have to be dealing with this on top. So when you're supported by a midwife who is indigenous, you get that anti-care, you get that anti-type of love. Yeah, so beautiful. Yeah. This is something that I have thought about so much over the last four and a half years, well, five years of my pregnancies and postpartum experiences. And particularly after my first child was born, which ended up being a traumatic experience post-birth, not during, but I just kept thinking about myself as a privileged white woman in this urban center, and I was experiencing such a difficult time postpartum, and there were moments in that birthing experience, too, where I felt scared to speak up and like I didn't have the courage and maybe there were times where people weren't actually listening Mm -hmm. and again like continuing to go back to all the privileges that I hold and then thinking about others who were in similar positions in birthing and postpartum and pregnancy and didn't have those privileges Mm -hmm. and this is something that we need to be having these conversations about more and more I just want to also say such a full circle moment because we're going to have Jessica Swain on the podcast as well. (laughs) I love Jessica. Yes. So from Four Directions Midwifery in Calgary. And funny enough, she was supposed to be my midwife with my second baby, but she was on her mat leave at the time. So I had someone different. So I saw Jessica for my last postpartum session but she was just wonderful. So I can't wait to chat with her as well on the Mm -hmm. midwifery side. Okay. So the curriculum that you are creating so much here that I want to dive into and more and more about how you, as it says in your bio, practice birthing as ceremony. Yes. What does that mean? All right, so we'll jump, we'll do curriculum and then birthing as ceremony. So I was a home visitor for a local not-for-profit agency, and I would go visit moms and support them. And in just my conversations with them, I realized how many of them did not attend prenatal classes. And they could have had one kid, they could have had seven kids, but no knowledge. And I felt prepared, like for my first one, I did prenatal classes, I read, I did everything that I could, and it was still a very terrifying experience. And I couldn't ever imagine going in completely blind or basing off like, oh, in the movie, your water bursts everywhere, and then that means you're in labor, and then you have a baby. Or you're gonna hear people's horror stories, all the time and then you're sometimes going to hear really lovely birth stories and if that's what you're basing your prior knowledge on going into like I like I just I can't even imagine how alone that must have felt and so I thought well why aren't they going or why aren't they staying and how do we get there there so I wanted to figure out how do I close the gap on that prior knowledge to our women. So you go in feeling empowered and knowledgeable about 
so many of the paths that birth can go so that you, no matter what happens, you still feel empowered by the decisions you end up making, whether that means you end up having your like dream home birth or you end up in under emergency cesarean and you aren't able to see baby right away. But because you were aware, you were part of the decision process, you were included, you still felt empowered. And that comes in prenatal care, that comes in your prenatal classes. So I wanted to do that, but I didn't want it to be stand there, listen to this here. This is your hormone. This is your body change. This is labor. This is early labor. This is active labor. I want it to include like making moss bags, bringing in a uh, guest friend, um, Jesse, who makes moss bags or drum teachings and beading because these classes are community building. And that is the focus of our cultural care. It's being around other people who are going through the same thing as you, um, whether that means you have a partner or you don't have a partner or like 20 people come to support you, you still feel included and cared for. So that's why I wanted to redo um, prenatal classes um, with culture, from our perspective of culture and it's inclusive and the ribbon, like the rhythms and the flows that come with it um, and how we view that. So. And then birthing as ceremony has sort of like become my personal statement. And as a doula, it starts out with like, I visit you every month. Um, in our courses, there's usually like a beginning meeting and then one closer to 36 weeks. And then I'll see you at your birth. And that works for some people and it's fine. I need to build a relationship with this person that I'm going to be in very close proximity to when they feel potentially the most out of control. And I need a relationship with somebody to do that. I need to know um, what they like, what they don't like, what smells do you want? Um, how do you feel about even being touched? You might just want me there for so a doula's emotional care. I am waist up. Midwives are waist down and the medical care, just like a doctor, just to be clear with that for everybody. And um, so that's what I do. I see them every month, build a relationship, meet their partner. So I'm not a stranger coming into the home, coming into the hospital with them. And then do actually in birth, like I bring medicines and we smudge, I bring my own drum, we sing songs and remind them this is going to end during that very hard part before you're pushing this is going to end you're going to have a baby just to be that reminder so that birthing is ceremony it is hard like if you've ever been a sweat lodge there are four rounds the third one is the hardest and i remind them in those very difficult times you're in the third round right now you know that this is going to end and even if you haven't birthed before, but if you've done ceremony before, you know that there's an ending. And I am promising you that there is an ending. But you are in the middle of the third round, second song, dig in deep, say these prayers, and let's go. And this is how I approach birth. And it doesn't sit well with everybody. They don't want that. They just want somebody to take care of their anxiety that they might have. They want somebody to hold their hand and tell them that this is going to be okay. And if that's what you want, you will find somebody who will absolutely be able to support you like that. I can't do that. I have to bring my medicines. I have to bring my drum. I have to bring who I am for you. So that is how I approach birthing. Yeah. 
That's so beautiful. You're bringing yeah. tears to my eyes as you talk through that. <laughs> I'm so interested in your birthing experiences. Oh gosh. What <laughs> were they like? And did you were you always interested in birth? Did having your birth experience heighten your interest in supporting others through birth? Tell us all the things. Okay. So my first one, uh, midwifery care was not covered by Alberta Health Services yet because she was born in uh, 2004. So it was a standard uh, GP care. I had a lovely doctor and we had a hospital birth. Um, I did prenatal classes. My mom was there. Um, their dad was there. And it was long and it was hard. It was like 27 hours from very first contraction to the time that she was born. It ended up being a vacuum birth. Um, I was, well, they said I was tired and like baby needed to come out now. Um, heart rate was dropping. There was pink flags, lights were going off. And I was, by then I was just like, fine, just get this baby out. So fourth degree tearing, which was terrible. And uh, I think there's like three sessions of needle freezing because I remember like I can feel that now like hey we'll just give you another needle Kate we'll give you another needle and um, postpartum was she was a terrible latcher breastfeeding was awful I was exhausted and I was like oh my god like that was not what I expected at all and uh, eventually like got through it and then uh, I had twins next so midwifery care was not even an option for me and I went I had to go see an OB the most amazing OB she trained out um, on the east coast and because I ended up getting a midwife for the last two I now realize like how much midwifery care it felt like I got from her she's like you're not going to tell me how much you weigh when or you're not going to look on the scale because you need to gain how much you need to gain. We're not gonna measure your belly because it needs to grow how much you need to grow and it's twins. And what was really funny, so she was, you know, how are you doing? What do you do for work? And I was doing my BED at the time. I was in my final year. And she, and I said, oh, there's this guy in there in my class is super intimidating. He's got like a PhD in some sort of science I can't even say. And how come he's doing his B.Ed.? <laughs> and she's like, oh, that's my husband. <laughs> I was like, oh, what? She's like, he just honestly left school. Like, he'll probably do another degree after this, after he's done teaching in five years. And I was like, this is amazing. And she was super, she was, I just felt very well taken care of by her. So um, went to a play date while in labor, because I woke up for them, I went into inactive labor every single time the sun went down. And wake up, they would go away. And that was for a week. And I said, you guys just have to hold on because uh, the B.Ed. was run like a master's program and we only had to hand in papers. Handed in my final paper, had them the next day. So oh went to a play date. My friends were like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm just in labor. <laughs> Like, what are you doing here? Go home. Like, have your. I'm like, but I told Skyla that we were gonna have this play date. She was so excited to see all of her friends. And then I was like, I hit the point of like, nope, I don't want to labor in public anymore. I am now leaving. Like, I want to take my clothes off. I don't want clothes on. I need to leave. So went home, labored there for as long as possible because I tried to do 
uh, until you can't walk or talk through your contractions because all the literature says anything earlier, your labor will stall when you go into a new environment. So went there, uh, their dad came and my mom met me at the hospital and triage got poopod. And I said, like, I'm in labor, but it was only 36 weeks and three days. And she said, okay, well, we'll see what's really going on. I'm like, no, I am telling you, like, I am very much in labor and have been since this morning. And so they got me into a room. They talked to my mom of a little bit more history about my first birth. And she said, once she hit, like, sort of six, seven, those last ones, like, flew off and she was starting to push. So they're like, oh, okay. They measured me and I was like six, almost seven. And it was just loud, like we need a room, there's twins, she's gonna start pushing these babies out, like we need to start setting up. And I just went to be like, see, I told you, like <laughs> I'm in labor. So um, got set up in there. Um, the first anesthesiologist came and I said, I'm very scared of needles. I'm very scared of the epidural. I do realize I have to get it but I'm very scared and said, I don't want it right now. Can I wait till I get till 10 and then I can push and have the epidural in case we need it. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. I'll see you in like 20 minutes when you're screaming for me. And I was like, mm, that wasn't very nice. So labored a little bit more, very full room. We had, I did go to prenatal classes for twins with my mom though, and realized that it could be a lot of people in there. And, um, then I hit 10 and got my epidural. I was able to like comfortably lay down now because I was stuck and I was starving. Uh, that was the only, I was so mad that they wouldn't give me juice, that they wouldn't feed me. It was like two or three o'clock. I'm like, I haven't eaten since breakfast and I'm tired. And I'm like, just, we'll get this done. And then they fed my um, husband juice. They gave him juice. And I'm like, that, like, leave the room. Like, I cannot watch this. I'm so angry right now. Um, so had a very wonderful vaginal birth for baby eight. He came out very well. The epidural was magical. And I was like, I now know why women get this. <laughs> this is amazing. So had him, beautiful, healthy baby, um, peed all over the doctor. He went off to his little team. And then baby B was having a party. She was all over, like my stomach was just swaying. The doctor said, like, got the ultrasound and said, we are worried about cord wrappage. We do need baby to come out and, like, now. I said, that's fine. So she said, close your eyes. I'm going in elbow deep and just push when I tell you to push. So I did. Uh, she's like, baby B, baby girl, fine. Uh, also peed on the doctor and then said that I either broke their collarbone or their arm or both and baby has to go to NICU. I said, okay. So their dad went up with baby A or baby B. And then I realized like there was 26 people in the room. And I was like, this, this is a lot. <laughs> and wow. half of them were like talking about their weekend plans. <laughs> like, anyways, I'm just lay here, I guess, and have some twins. So had a wonderful recovery. They fed me. Um, and then she ended up not having any damage. It was just severe, severe bruising, like eggplant purple. So it was very fortunate, but it was very hard to see a baby, like your newborn in like that kind of condition. And you could see fingerprints indented into her as she healed. 
So we stayed in the hospital for about five more days. Breastfeeding went fine, um, except for baby B. She was a lazy latcher, but baby A was wonderful. I literally said I put her through breastfeeding boot camp when we got home because I was so sick and tired of sterilizing bottles and then pumping and da 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 and trying to take care of twins and this very high energy toddler. So um, ended up tandem feeding them, which went really well. And had a, like, I just had a very positive experience with their birth. And then babies number four and five were both surprises. And yeah, so number four came along. I said, nope, like, and I thought this is going to be my last one because I wanted four kids. And I'm going to do the midwife. I'm going to have the water birth. I'm going to have like the birth of my dreams is what I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a bang. So got into a midwife. Um, and it was Aurora Midwifery, who were lovely. Sarah was my main midwife, and I still, to this day, like, adore her and love her. And um, got amazing care. And I was actually very hesitant to consider a home birth. But they said, you birth very quickly, and there's you might want to make it to the birthing center, but it's on the opposite side of the city from my house. So they said, imagine if you go into labor and it's rush hour and it takes you an hour there, like you might have to consider having your baby on the side of the road, which nobody wants. So they said, honestly, consider a home birth. Look into it, see how your comfortability level is. Ultimately, we will decide to do whatever it is you want to do, but you might want to seriously consider a home birth. So looked into it, okay, why not? Like, let's do a home birth. So um, planned for a water birth and had a very healthy pregnancy, no problems. And he, I went into labor with him naturally, had him at home, the water was amazing. Water is magic when you are in labor and I was pushing with him in the water and then they wanted to check me. So I got out and I was on all fours and I was like, please don't make me move. And they're like, you don't have to, it's your birth. And I was like, oh yeah. And I was like, can I push from here? Cause I really want, yes, push. And so I think I had four minutes of pushing with him and he was out. And I was like, what? I also was bad and I didn't listen to the midwives were like short push, short push. And I just wanted him out and I pushed really hard. And they're like, no, 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 we said, I'm like, I'm sorry. They're like, well, you're the one who's going to end up with a stitch, not us. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. I'm sorry. So um, with his birth, he was born in June and I had my bedroom windows open and there was a beautiful crosswind happening and the lilacs were in bloom. So every single time that the lilacs are in bloom, I think of him. And that is always just a very very magical moments and memory that I have of baby Phoenix. So it immediately was so nice to like have a shower in my own house. I had my best friends there. I had my mom there. I had my sisters there. I had all these midwives there. And it was so nice to be able to say, I just want to labor by myself with my midwives because I labor in silence. But when I start to push, you guys can come up and you can be a cheerleading squad. But hearing everybody downstairs in my kitchen, visiting, talking, I was like, this is how we're supposed to birth. This is what is supposed to be happening. I didn't feel alone. I didn't feel isolated. 
it was my own smells and I got to eat my own food like being like hand-fed soup by your best friend is that's medicine that is medicine for the soul and then all their siblings got to immediately see baby after being born and then life continues like you go to school you go to preschool and mom just had a baby and got wrapped in her own warm blankets in her bed and you sleep so that was uh, my first home birth experience and i was like i would never ever go back to a hospital again why are people doing this to themselves <laughs> i don't understand and then um Eight months later, I found I was three months pregnant. So um, had him, uh, but this time full water birth. Um, me and their dad were not doing well. Uh, he was not even living in the house at the time. And we knew that postpartum depression, because I have a history of depression, was a huge concern to everybody. So we really made sure that um, there was a postpartum plan for visitors, who was gonna do what, who's gonna help me out with housework, who was gonna get what kids to school. We were very proactive with it with my midwives. And I didn't get like a touch of postpartum reaction after. I think it's because we were proactive. It made a huge difference. So had him fully, full water birth with him, had him in the water and my most favorite picture is actually of me holding him the first time I see him. And it is just complete love and relief because I was like, this is the final baby. This is the final push I will ever have to do. And I'm done. And I love you. And I'm so glad that you are here. And in his transition, I popped up and went, take me to the hospital. Give me that epidural. I am done. And my midwife was like, uh, what? Not our plan, not every year plan. And you know, we go there, there's interventions are going to happen. And you might be in a situation you don't want to be like, what is going on? And I looked at and she's like, and she said, like, you're strong and you're capable. I said, I know I'm strong and I know I'm capable. I am so tired of having to be strong, of having to do everything, of having to do this. And then she realized I wasn't talking about my birth. And just looked me in the eye, said what I needed to hear, and then I immediately like popped back out. And I was, okay, let's have this effing baby. Like, and she's like, there's my girl, like she's back. So <laughs> let's have this baby. So um, you get that kind of care when you have been seeing somebody every month, when they take care of you completely and wholly and know what's going on. And I am forever grateful for the care that I got like that. And um, in my own births, there was like no ceremony. They were super respectful in terms of asking like, is this a ceremonial blanket? Can we wrap baby in it? Um, but I didn't have that in any of my own births. So, um, which I don't regret. It's not something I long for or miss for. It just didn't happen. So then um, those were all of my birthing experiences, getting like my sister and my friend to like cut the cord and everybody being able to see baby right away. Uh, siblings to see baby right away was just, it was incredible. That is what I loved. And I'm super grateful that that's how I got to finish my birthing experience the way that I wanted to. 
Wow. Yeah. What a journey through all of those different experiences. Thank you for sharing those with us. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So a few questions, Mm -hmm. especially when you were mentioning that fourth degree tear. Yes. I'm so interested in what, is there knowledge of pelvic floor physiotherapy within indigenous communities? Is this something that is talked about? I would say yes, like it is talked about, but not enough. And I also think that not being able to run or to jump on the trampoline is normalized. That's okay. You've had kids. Like you're supposed to be like that. No, you aren't. Pelvic dysfunction is not normal and it shouldn't ever have been normalized. And I really wish that we had more access and care to, phys- to pelvic floor physiotherapists. Particularly in our communities, we have a lot of babies. Me having five kids is not completely unnormal. I see moms with 10 kids, seven kids, 12 kids. And I really wish that we had access to that, like that it was normal care at your six week checkup. Have you seen your pelvic floor therapist? Nope, Kate, we're gonna book you your appointment then. Mm-hmm. And then should be accessible to anybody, regardless of what how long their postpartum period has been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We talk a ton about yeah how these pelvic floor dysfunctions, which is it's kind of a problematic term in itself, but these symptoms that people might be having in terms of incontinence or so many things that could result from a fourth degree tear mm-hmm. and then the care that you received after that for healing is non-existent. It nope. probably wasn't even talked about on how you might go about healing that wound and then getting the function back to those tissues afterwards. Mm-hmm. But I'm also so interested Again, something we talk about a ton, Anita and I, who is my co-host on this podcast, the access to her services, being a pelvic floor physio, and how we're just continually thinking about how can we help more people access these services. Mm -hmm. So I'm so interested in that too, for those people who are living, say, on reservations in reserve and these services are difficult to access as is, yep. let alone a specialty type service. Yeah. And then, like you said, people are having many babies, which is so common within those yep. communities. And it's just it feels like you're stuck and it's frustrating. Yes. And it's also expensive. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, am I going to pay for one session or am I going to pay for groceries for the next week? Exactly. I'm going to pick groceries. And so I do wish that it was covered um, somehow by somebody else. And, but you're right. Like when you live in a fly-in only community, you live eight hours away from the nearest central city like Edmonton or Calgary. How do you get these services? Like the services have to come out, but then it has to be worth it because we're all business. We need to make money. We have lives to live. They have to be paid to get out there. Yeah. And then, and then you're coming into a community, very potentially as a non-nation person, onto a nation. You need that trust to particularly, like, within our communities, sexual violence is so high mm-hmm. that 
you can't just open up to anybody. So then you have to build trust, you have to build relationship, and that takes time. And how do you make that happen when you potentially like, well, I need somebody to like watch all of my kids to get to this one hour appointment or this 15 minute appointment, then it turns into a home visit. And that's not always feasible, even though I wish it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, such good points, especially as you're talking about the trust building relationship in a situation as public floor physio can be such an intimate relationship mm -hmm. with the provider. Mm -hmm. And yes, someone who potentially has no ties to that community and might be a white person coming into this indigenous community. There are so many layers here to consider. Yeah. I am really interested in asking you about your births because I particularly wanted to hear about perhaps the difference between your experience with hospital birth and home birth and the providers and potentially the experiences that you had with those birth and medical professionals. Mm -hmm. So one thing that you said was with the twin birth and how they didn't trust that you were in labor. Mm -hmm. And this is something that is a common experience for mm -hmm. many people, women, and especially people of color whose experiences are not trusted in the medical community. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Did you feel any experiences, microaggressions or macro on um, any type of level because of your identity as an Indigenous person? Um, so yes, so when I walked in and I, and I felt like, oh, we'll see what's really happening. Like, no, I am telling you what's really happening. I have been in inactive labor for a week every night these are my set, like my second birth, so things are going to happen faster. My cervix knows what's happening, and I am telling you, like my contractions are like three minutes apart, and I can't walk and I can't talk through them. I'm very much in labor. Thank you very much. And to have somebody sit there and be like, mm, "Well, we'll find out what's really happening. You can go wait in triage." Okay, thank you. So. Um, the other portion is like, I'm really fair and I'm mixed blood. So my mom is white, my dad is Cree, is I'm pretty fair passing and I had my husband's last name. So it was not um, like a traditional native last name. And I think that also played a role into, you see the chart. I don't have a typical last name, say like Eagle Speaker or um, any of the names that are known in this place. So you initially will come in differently. I have a white husband, I had a, and I have a white mom, um, so I'm darker than them, but I'm not very dark. So I don't think I would get treated as much as say somebody who is like 100% very dark, jet black hair. I think I would get treated better than they would. Yeah. And um, just not being listened to um, is so frustrating and really disheartening. And then you're like, wait, am I imagining, am I, am I overreacting right now? Am I being hypersensitive? And why couldn't it just be, okay, yeah, you look like you're in labor. We're going to check on how things are going. We're going to take care of you. Don't worry. 
Why couldn't that have been the care instead? And then it's mad panic because yes, I was right. <laughs> and then it's like, oh my God, we need to go. Ah, blah, 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 blah. But my mom said it was just complete chaos in the hallways. So she's like, well, they should have just listened to you. Yeah, because we're going to this. Goodness. And then do you support your clients for your birth doula work in hospital? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, the minute that I come to you, wherever it is that we start your labor, I stay with you until an hour after you have that baby. And it does not matter if we end up in the birth center or at a hospital. That is not of any of my business where we end up. My job is to take care of you, bottom line. So, yeah, my one of my more powerful experiences, I guess, was actually drumming in South Campus Hospital. And the grandfather, uh, or the dad of the client was in the hallway, and he's like, it got pretty quiet out here. And everybody looked towards the door. And I was like, I don't care. It's like, I'm going to indigenize this space. (laughs) Yes, I do. And it worked was the other thing. Like she was having a really difficult transition. Her heart rate was all over the place. Baby's heart rate was all over the place. And I just like right in front of her face, looked her in her eye and started to sing her a song and it dropped. And then it resumed a normal heartbeat. And the midwife was just like, holy. And then she's like, after that, we're like, we, they made the adjustments that they needed, but she's like this, this was something else. I've never seen this before. And to be able to drum baby out to earth side, like that's the first thing that baby gets to hear. That's what coaxes baby out. Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah. What a gift. Yep. (sighs) Full body. Again. (laughs) (laughs) Magic. Wow. Okay. Last question for you as I have to go yes. pick up my little one soon. <laughs> what, when you are having those experiences, like singing these songs and drumming baby into the world, and there's these other medical professionals around, what, what are your interactions with them like? I am now at an age where I don't care what they think or what their bias is. I'm here to take care of this person. And, but I fully prepare for defensiveness. I fully prepare to be scrutinized um, just visually. And I fully prepare to be told to quiet down. And my answer will be no. I'm going to say, I won't ask for permission. I'm going to say, the client would really love, like we need to do some singing, we need to do some drumming and this is their space, and it's going to get loud. Just so you know. And at least um, we had some nurses coming in and out, but they, I didn't feel those microaggressions from them. They just kind of watched and said, okay, like things look good here, we're gonna leave. And then um, with the midwives, they were just like, bring it. Like, just do what you gotta do. This is what, this is why she wanted you here. And, um, at the end, because uh, the one midwife was um, non-Indigenous, was just like, that was powerful. I've never witnessed anything like that before. And just, wow. Yeah. 
And I'm like, well, this is the way we're supposed to birth. It's supposed to be full of like medicines burning in the air, our prayers, our songs. So we had ceremony around this and colonization took them away. And I want to reclaim it back really hard. Yeah. Alicia, you are such a special soul. I can't mm. thank you enough for being on. Where can people find more about you and the work that you do? So I'm on Instagram under alicia.twobears. Um, A-L-Y-C-I-A is how you spell my name. And then I have a Facebook page under Good Woman Medicine. That is my company for my birth work, doula work, yoga work. And you can find me on Facebook under Alicia Two Bears. Wonderful. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Again, thank you. What a beautiful conversation. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 